Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I'm pumped to be here today. We, we Obviously, there's plenty to talk about. Plenty to talk about. Especially, you know, with all the news, the macro news and all that other kind of stuff that came out this week. Um, you know, I think that... <laughs> Oh, man, we just have tons to talk about. Anyway, okay, so let's get to it, the rundown. Uh, so today, we're going to do the market update, of course. And then we're going to, the next segment after that is something that I want to have running for a while. And I want to run it through the duration of this current market. Uh, just because you guys have been listening to the show, you know my thoughts. I'm very much in the, in the um, neighborhood, if you will, or very much in the thought that this is a bear market rally. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the market update. We'll also talk about that in risk management and action. But, but we're going to do a segment. Now, I want to do it every week. You know, maybe it's not going to be a lot, but I want to be completely honest and transparent about our process, tell you how we're positioned, tell you how we deal with that positioning so you can get an idea. And maybe those people that, that manage their money at home can pick up some tips, right? Um, I've had people, somebody asked me today, why would you share that stuff? You're telling people how to do it themselves. I go, well, yeah, well, some people will do it themselves, but, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that realize, you know, this takes more than just a couple tips from some guy on the radio. And uh, but anyway, you know, like we've said before, we want to be a source of education and we want it to be useful to everybody. You know, whether you're thinking about putting your money with us or another active manager or trying to decide whether active management versus like the Schwab or the Vanguard approach. Um, again, you guys, you guys know my thoughts. Just provide good information. Do the right thing. And let the business side of it take care of itself. And we mean that truly. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be very honest about how we're positioned, how we handle these situations. I'm going to tell you where our performance is at and show you how you know, market movements and gyrations back and forth have, are impacting the returns. And uh, hopefully it just provides insight of how we do things, right? We talk about risk management all the time. But you know, maybe, how do we know that's just for those of you that have been listening for a while, how do you know those aren't just catchwords? Right? What does that really mean? Maybe, maybe that just means that we put a bunch of money in an annuity that can't lose and therefore voila, right? No, no, it's much more complex than that. Um, but also simple, I think, too. So we're going we're gonna to walk through that. But anyway, uh, and, oh, and then also really interesting story that I think is very apropos for, for where we're currently at. Um, a little story from one of my, uh, well, let's see. What, what I, I, I don't, it's not an idol or anything like that. But a guy that I've always really looked up to and, and greatly admired in the business. And also, you know, I don't know him, but, but seems like a great guy. I know that he's done a ton for charity and self-deprecating, not too arrogant, but brilliant. Stan Druckenmiller. I, just, I, I think he's the best uh, money manager ever. And uh, I think the stats back it up. You know, we're talking about a guy that managed, man, uh, ran money for 30 years. He averaged about 33% annualized returns for 30 years. In those 30 years, he never had a down year. And he had four negative quarters. Okay, so if that seems too good to be true, if that seems, it, 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 these are facts. These are audited results. Um, the guy's an absolute machine. But anyway, I, I think, and I, and I tweeted this out earlier today. Um, I just think this particular story from him, him is very apropos. And um, we'll see. We'll see if I'm right. But anyway, so great show planned for you. But let's get into the market update. So first and foremost, inflation numbers came out, right? We've seen a great rally here the last couple days of the week. Um, I know that the bears are all juiced up. Uh, I know a lot of people are calling the bottom that it's in. You got to go buy stocks. Uh, And all that is spurred by this inflation announcement. Now, that, this inflation announcement's got a lot in it, so let's parse through it, okay? So, 
First of all, the expectations were for CPI, Consumer Price Index, to come in at 8.7. Okay, it came in at 8.5. I wish I could tell you why that has been celebrated. I don't really understand it. I think everybody thinks inflation has peaked. It wouldn't shock me if that's the case. Um, And we'll get into why it wouldn't shock me. The reason it wouldn't shock me is because economic leading indicators are falling off a cliff. Right? So I I think that's why inflation is abating. Now, could I be wrong about inflation abating? Yeah, I I could be. Because a move from 8.7 to 8.5, again, we got to recognize the environment we're in, right? Despite the hit we took at the earliest or, or, or earlier in the year, you know, the worst first half uh, since 1970, this is still very much a market environment where everybody's looking at everything with, with rose-colored glasses. And, and I think that the market environment, or at least the attitude that you see reflected in this rally, is that the threat was rising rates. And that if inflation abates, that means rates aren't going to be jacked anymore and stocks are back to their highs. Um. I really can't wrap my head around that argument just because if inflation has peaked, that doesn't mean the Fed's cutting back to zero anytime soon. I don't see the Fed reversing course. As a matter of fact, Evans from the Fed was out there either yesterday or today saying he sees another 75 bips hike on, on, you know, on the table for September or said he could see that. You know, he didn't promise it, obviously. So I'm not, you know, we don't, we're not betting on that. Um, but our whole thing is, is that, you know, if, if, if you want to see stocks back at their highs, you would need to see an environment that, in, in my opinion, you would expect to see an environment that facilitated that, right? The environment, an environment that we had where, you know, the Fed was assisting because you're just not going to get it from the overall economy. And, and we can walk through why that is. And Chase and I deal, go into greater depths and details about why that is. Um, you know, I think at the very best the expectations for the economy should be to muddle through. And that's possible, right? Um, But if it, remember, when we talk about stocks getting back to their highs, what are we talking about? We're talking about stocks getting back to COVID highs with interest rates at zero, with the greatest infusion of stimulus in history, right? With that, that occurred when inflation was negative, right? Because during COVID, I mean, you had deflation, um, oil prices in the 30 to 4. I mean, just every single dynamic has changed. And to think that you're just going right back to where you were, that's just a hard one for me to wrap my head around. Does that mean it's not possible? No, right? One of the things that we should have learned in the last 15 years is anything is possible, especially as it relates to the markets. But uh, with the inflation update, I mean, that's a moderate. I mean, the other side of it is when you miss or make by two-tenths of a percent, um, you know, that number could easily be adjusted a month from now up to eight, nine. You know, um, so I, I don't really understand that. I just know that people are looking for any bloody reason to step back in here and buy these beaten up tech stocks. So, um, you know, we'll see if they're right. I don't I I very much don't think they are. Um, and, and and again, we're not trying to time markets, guys. We're just looking at valuations and economic trends and all that kind of stuff and just going. Uh, <laughs> I just OK, OK. The other thing I think that we need to be pay attention to is is earnings, right? Meaning, if if we're just going right back to where we were, and those high flying tech companies start producing results the way they were prior, I, I guess you could make I guess you could make an argument that you're going to get back there, right? Uh, um, I I mean I I just don't see it because the monetary conditions are so different. But here's the catch. Even the there's been a couple companies that have quote unquote done well through earnings, um, whose stocks really got big pops on the tech side of things. I mean, look, m- most of it hasn't been good. It hasn't been atrocious yet, um, which also doesn't surprise me. So I'm, I'm going to get back to most of it's good, and and there's a specific company I want to talk about because I again I think they're kind of a canary in the coal mine as it relates to this, and this is kind of the thing that is a real head scratcher for me with these stocks rallying. Um, but before I do that, let's, let's pivot back a little bit. Um, w- when, you're looking, when you're looking at this environment and you're looking at these tech stocks that everybody's, you know, that again, that everybody's going back to the well with or well on 
And not everybody, but, you know, people are loading back up. Oh, get back in there. The rally's starting. Here we come, baby. Good times here again. Um, at, at the very least, like I said, the, the you know, think about Peloton, right? Th- think about so many of these companies that have already been hammered, right? Think about, think about Weber, right? It, it, was, it really amazed me. Uh, Weber came out, Weber Kettle, right? The company that makes barbecues. They came out and announced big misses on, on earnings and revenues and stock just got hammered. And, and even that left me scratching my head because I was sitting there going, wait, 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 wait a second. Did investors expect that Weber was going to continue the pace that they've been on for the last two years? Right. We're off lockdown. Wait, you think people are going to buy barbecues every year? <laughs> like, no, you buy a barbecue and you're usually good for what? You know, six, eight, ten years. I mean, maybe some of you out there are barbecue changers. I mean, I know guys that buy new clubs, new golf clubs every single year. So maybe there's barbecue. But what I'm saying is you have to think about the consumer, right? When you look at what's taken place over the last two years, if the consumer wanted it and that good was within their reach, they've got it. They're not going to buy more. Right? And Chase and I talk about this, the, the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. If you wanted three G.I. Joes with the Kung Fu grip, you bought them. You use stimulus money. Trex, another company that came out and announced results. Big miss. Shocker, right? Trex makes that artificial composite decking material. People aren't building new decks every year, right? So there's just that natural economic aspect of the binging that has been consumer spending that was driven by artificial stimulus. And when the stock market was at its highs at the end of last year, beginning of this year, it reflected all that. Well, that's all going away. That's not a continuous thing. On top of that, you've got rising interest rates, dollar, DXY, still at 106. Oil commodity prices have gone up. I I just can't even make the math work. Now, the other thing, like I was saying, if we thought there was going to be a return to pre-COVID normal, then I guess you could sit there and say, okay, yeah, I guess maybe these stocks will reinflate. But this is where I'm going to pivot back to the trade desks, ticker symbol TTD. It appears to be a very good company. I think that their executive compensation is way out of line. I also think that their stock compensation is way out of line and distorting their numbers. But even they, right, they they were coming into this trade, they were coming into this quarter trading at about 20 times revenue, okay, which not earnings, revenue, right? And they were doing that because they were growing the business at a really good pace. They had some good margins. And then obviously they were just overinflated, right? I, I mean, if you think about paying that, Right. It's like uh, um, it's like a guy has a business that is growing by 25 to 30 percent a year. He does a million dollars in revenue, about seventy thousand dollars in profit. You go want to buy the business from him and he says, how much do you want for how much you want for it? And the guy says twenty million dollars. Right. No rational person is going to buy that. You put it in the stock, though, show the stock going up and then everybody's on top of it. Well, Trade Desk comes out and announces, you know, decent earnings compared to everybody else in terms of. You know, they grew year over year about 35% in revenue, uh, which is a decline, but not bad, right? They, they, I mean, that's pretty admirable. You've seen big fall-offs in, in growth and revenue for a lot of these high-flying tech companies this year. So in comparison, it looked pretty good. But here's the other thing. Their margins are slipping. Profit margins are down significantly. The stock rallied like 25 or 30%. And now it's trading at 25, 26 times revenue. And I'm sitting there going, guys, the, the, the secular growth rate of their, rev, their, their revenue growth is slowing. Their margins have dropped significantly. You're going to bid that up? Uh, okay. Okay. So you're not even watching markets respond to actual earnings, right? They, they, I don't know what they're responding to. Just, just, just people being really excited, I guess. But hey, and look, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. I don't buy it, but maybe they're right. Um, another one on, on the energy front, um, that's kind of another tell. I mean, if you think the economy is just really accelerating, you're seeing some falling demand on, on the energy side of things. Um, that does not support a reacceleration of the economy, which shouldn't be a surprise when you look at how aggressively the Fed has raised rates. No more stimulus. I mean, it's just... It's just kind of crazy. That being said, interesting note came out from Goldman Sachs this week where Goldman Sachs is forecasting $130 oil by the end of the year, $130 Brent. Um, and that's why you just, I just can't wrap my head around it. If you have economic acceleration, 
the inflation's coming right back, right? If rates pull back, housing prices are going to go. I, I just, I, I think you're in a really tough spot economically, especially as it relates to the kind of stocks that are rallying. I just can't get my head around it, guys. And then the other thing too, right? Everybody's like, oh, that's what they said in COVID. Got it. And that's a great point. We got to be humble. I could be wrong. Have been in the past. I thought a lot of the years, you know, what was going on in the COVID year was a bear market rally. Said that before, not, we didn't wrap my head around the stimulus, but that's the other big change, right? The Fed and central banks continue to do the opposite of what they were doing then. So, I mean, you're looking for a crutch for this market to lean on and other than, you know, exuberant and in my opinion, gullible investors, I don't really think there is one. And, and again, you're seeing it in the earnings results. It's not just, you know, us forecasting it. Things are cooling off. When you jack interest rates like that, what do you think is going to happen? So I think the idea of stocks getting back to their highs, um, <laughs> I mean, if they do that, this will be, this will set a new record for the most overvalued market in history and nothing like this will have ever taken place. Um, and again, I, I just, I hear all these people talking about breakout levels and da 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 and this and that. I, I don't see it. I, the market is still just bumping along the upper range that we're tracking. And, and then just to be sure, people are like, well, you look at the S&P 500. As crazy as this sounds, and this could be wrong, on, this, we could end up being proven wrong. We're not watching the S&P 500. We're watching the NASDAQ. Okay, that is where all the action is. That's where the biggest stocks on the S&P are, are at, right? That's where retail is all jacked up about. The NASDAQ let us down. It's let us back up. I don't think the S&P 5, I know I'm going to sound like a pariah. I don't think as of right now, until this cycle ends, I don't think the S&P is what you want to watch. I think it's the NASDAQ. Funny enough, the NASDAQ is adhering to these trading ranges much more rigidly than the S&P 500 is. Because I think the NASDAQ is the pressure gauge for what really drives this whole thing, right? Because I think a lot of this is just driven by retail ignorance and exuberance and all that other kind of stuff. It's very similar to the early 2000s, right? The dot-com bubble. So to me, the game is the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ falls off. It's taking the S&P 500 with it. So to me, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to spend a bunch of time focused on the, on the S&P 500. I, I, think the, I think the action is in the NASDAQ. So that's really what we're watching. Um, another one, again, pretty amazing. Um, one of the things that we like to watch for is something we call credit impulse or the rate at which new credit is being, uh, you know, taken on, right? The rate at which banks are lending, the rate at which consumers are borrowing. Um, and you can get a lot of weird readings, but we like to really keep those readings to the, to the G5 countries, the big dogs, right? The developed economies, us, you know, Canada, Britain, you know, the big ones in Europe, France, um, you, that's the, those are the areas that we want to focus on because I think that gives you the best read through because you can have these anomalies in these other little economies. But what's and even I was shocked by this chart. Um, obviously, when COVID hit, you saw a big drop in credit impulse, right? People trying to get credit, banks lending, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it went through the roof. Okay, the credit impulse has fallen off a cliff. I mean falling off a cliff. And the interesting thing about the credit impulse is if you look at it and you chart it with uh, uh, the valuation of stocks, right? So, so the valuation of the S&P 500, the earnings of the S&P 500, the trajectory of the S&P 500, it's not, a, it's not a perfect match, but as you would guess, they're very correlated, right? So when you look at where the markets are at, you chart these things, the credit impulse has fallen off a cliff to the point where it's 20 or 30% below the COVID low right now, right? Think about that. It's pretty crazy. And then you go look at those other things, earnings on the S&P, trajectory of the S&P, all that kind of stuff. They've rolled over a little bit, but they're basically back right at where the credit impulse rolled over. So they are completely bucking that. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Why is the credit impulse important? Well, it shows you, you know, how exuberantly people want to buy things, but it's also a forecaster of revenues and earnings, right? If the credit impulse is really high, you know that a quarter or two from now, those earnings are going to show up, right? People are buying stuff, propelling of the economy, all that other kind of thing. Is it a foolproof metric? No, there, there isn't one that exists. Another thing you're going to hear a lot about, which we talked about with Chase, 
inverted yield curves. You've got inverted yield curves right now that we haven't seen, I want to say, since the 80s. Ugly inversions. I mean, deep inversions. That Anytime we were inverted like this, it was game over. Now, typically in the past, it didn't happen immediately. Usually there's an 8 to 12-month lag from inversion. That could be the case in this cycle. I just continue to believe that this cycle is going to continue to buck trends because of the abnormalities, right? Uh, COVID, you know, all the crazy stuff that's built into the economy right now that a lot of it's a first. Um, and that's why I continue to have an open mind about stocks accelerating. This is an incredibly unique environment, right? And ironically, that's why we want to start that new segment, you know, called risk management in action, because these are environments. Why th- This is exactly the kind of environment of why we do things the way that we do them, because you get into these environments and managing your risk is really the only thing you have any control over. Um, the VIX too, you guys know, we pay a lot of attention to the VIX. Um, I'm not, the VIX has been hammered. It's back below 20, which is breathtaking to me. When you think of the risks out there and you look at everything, it blows me away. Um, and and I'm still trying to discern what that means because the VIX didn't spike this year. The high, I mean, the NASDAQ was down 30, right? Worst start to the year since 1970, the VIX never even hit 40. Which is kind of the left, right? If you're going to see a 20 to 30% stock market drop, I, I would typically tell you that, and I don't have the data in front of me, but I bet you probably, you know, something like 85 to 95% of the time, uh, 20 to 30% pullback in the stock market would result in a VIX, the volatility index, um, being somewhere between 40 to 45. I, I would bet you, I don't know it, but I would say probably 85, 95% of the time. Um, the VIX never crossed over 38 now it's kind of grinding down slowly and it broke below 20, which is its long-term average, like going back since its inception in the early nineties. So what the VIX is telling you is the coast is clear, but I don't think that we, I don't think we can use that argument as a bullish argument. I don't think we can use it as a bearish argument. It's just acting weird. It, it acts as almost one of the things that might be happening with the VIX is that everybody's just hedged up. So there's no real, right? Cause the VIX is going to show you, what the VIX is basically, I mean, it does a lot of different things and there are VIX specialists out there that we've actually had them on the show before, but, but I think the best way to describe the VIX is it's like a heat gauge. It, it, it's telling you a story of basically the higher the VIX is then what it means is the market is anticipating greater volatility. It also means that the appetite for protection, right? The appetite for downside protection is larger, right? It means that people are paying more to buy insurance, Right. So the VIX is telling you that the coast is clear. There's nothing to worry about, but it, it's just, I'm not buying it. We'll have to keep an eye on the VIX. Um, and again, I'm not saying I'm not buying it either way. I don't really know what to make of it at this point. We're a little long volatility right now, just because I think in this environment, buying the VIX below 20 is a gift. I'm not advising anybody else doing that, but um, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, let's see. And I think that about does it guys on the market update. So we'll just, you know, we're still not above these levels. We've said that we thought the NASDAQ could run to 13,500, 600, somewhere in there. And that's right around the 200 day moving average. I, I think you can climb as high as 13,738 and still be in a bear market. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back. Um, but anyway, we got to take a quick break as always, guys, give us a call 866-779-RISK again, 866-779-RISK go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com. You guys know the drill stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the know your risk radio, download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Are your finances and investments well positioned for a successful retirement? Join me at Zach Abraham's free live webinar Thursday, August 18th at 3 p.m. Zach, what are we going to learn? Dory, the core of our investment and retirement planning process is protecting portfolios against major losses while still growing assets. In our live webinar, I'll explain how we do it and answer some big questions like, do I have enough to retire? When should I take Social Security? Do I need estate planning or long-term care? And why are investment strategies like the basic 60-40 stock bond portfolio outdated and a risk in today's inflationary environment? 
Learn how our risk management strategy can protect your retirement. Zach Abraham's free live webinar is 3 p.m. Thursday, August 18th. Space is limited, so reserve now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice can be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management's an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Okay, so I want to get into the risk management thing, but I really want to talk about I want to talk about the the general trajectory of the markets and how to place them. Okay, so um and I don't want to give away the interview with Chase, but Chase and I spend a, a considerable amount of time. I want to say 15 or 20 minutes trying to figure out where we're wrong, right? Trying to sit there and go, okay, let's try to, let's try to synthesize a good economy from here that justifies these movements in stocks, right? Because like he and I talk about in the interview, it's not what you get right in investing that makes the biggest difference. It's what you get wrong, right? And it's one of the things that we talk to our guys about all the time is, hey, you're not going to be right all the time, okay? So what our constant goal should be is to figure out when we're wrong as fast as we possibly can. You know, so I know how I'm positioned. I don't need to, you know, because that's usually what happens. You put positions on or you buy stocks and you become myopically focused on them because you believe you're right and you're looking for signs that those are correct. I did the same thing when I started. It's natural, right? What I've learned over time is have your positions. You don't need to focus on them. You've got them in. You know what you think. Right? What do you need to focus on? You need to focus on where you could be wrong. Right? Because if you're right, the result's going to take care of itself. Those stocks are going to go up in price. You're going to make money. Clients are happy. I'm happy. Everybody's happy. Right? So what do you need to be focused on? Where you're wrong. And so we're, Chase and I spent a lot of time talking about that. But I wanted to focus on the market uh, uh, to give you guys a, a really good example. We did a little bit of work on this. Why do I still think it's a bear market rally, even though if you listen to the mainstream media, there's a lot of exuberance. People are jacked. Oh, it's bottomed and, you know, this in the past and blah, blah, blah. So first of all, I think that this is obviously a very unique market environment. Um, and I think it is different than the dot-com bubble. But I think for a variety of different reasons, that's about the best comp we can get. Um, I'm not saying that the economy is similar to it was back then. It's not. I'm just looking at markets, right? And there's a couple unique things about this market and that market that isn't that, that, that they have in common. First of all, both were benchmarks of record exuberance, uh, record stock valuations, crazy stock valuations, crazy gains, huge swings. Um, so there's that obvious correlation. Um, then on top of it, another striking similarity, which really, again, there really aren't historical comps, is the exuberance and the involvement of the retail investor. And so, and the reason why I say that is, and again, this is not a slam on home gamers. I, I've met some home gamers that have even become clients of mine that have done exceptionally well, that are good investors. Okay, this isn't, I'm just saying by and large. Right. The, the Reddit crowds and all that kind of stuff. These aren't fundamental investors, by and large. They're not stupid. There's some bright ones mixed in. Right. I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. But these are not rigorous, disciplined, fundamental investors. Right. These are stock price chasers. And that record involvement with retail, I think, is a very large component of this market, meaning, you know, there's. There's stocks that people have lost 70 to 80 percent in that just no professional. I mean, there maybe there's some, obviously, but, you know, no real disciplined investor would have ever bought those things at those levels. And for that matter, they're not going to buy them at a lot of the levels they're currently trading at, despite the fact they're down. Why is that? The price could still go up, but there's just nothing backing it up. There's nothing there. It's just an air pocket. I mean, the business is there. It's real. But the separation between the financial performance of the company and the price of the stock is you could drive a semi-truck through it, right? There's, it's just untethered. And 
you really, again, this market and going back to 2000 are really the only markets where that really exists in mass. And so we, we went back and looked at that and I've looked at it several times. We were doing this the other day with my trader, Matt. And, uh, in 2000, market came out of the gates pretty strong. I think it peaked in late February, early March. And then it took a pretty violent move down. Now, we're speaking about the NASDAQ again. Okay, NASDAQ dropped thir- about 35% pretty much in a straight line. Uh, this time was right around 31% this year. But then what happened next, <clears throat> I think is of equal importance because the shape of the, of the charts is remarkably similar. It dropped, excuse me, it dropped about like 32% and then spiked up a little bit and then dropped again and went down a little bit further and then kind of bottomed and then went on a tear. It rallied 30% off the bottom. If you're, if you want to know right now, I think the NASDAQ is about 23% off the bottom. Okay. And everybody's saying all coasts are clear. Um, we, in 2000, it rallied 30%, got up there and then rolled over again and made a new low and then kept repeating that pattern. It had multiple 25, you know, tw- I think that was the biggest one was that, that 31, 32% rally off the bottom, 30% right in that ballpark. But it had multiple 15, 20% rallies, and then they'd roll over and die again. And then eventually the NASDAQ finished down 85% in 2002. That was the ultimate uh, stopping point. Um, the, the shape of the curve so far this year is, is almost a mirror image. It's, it's almost an exact replica, a little bit different. I, like I said, I think at the peak intraday, I think the NASDAQ was down 31, uh, peak intraday back then. I think the NASDAQ was down 34, 35. So, but, but very similar. And then the pace of the acceleration, it went back straight up. I mean, it's just, it's just mirroring it perfectly. Um, the fed was hiking rates. I, there's just so much similar. doesn't mean it's going to play out like that again. Um, and it probably won't play out exactly like that because that's just not the way things work. But if you want it for, for these people that are out there, you know, with all this certainty that this is just a reacceleration, a new bull market. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I, I will just tell you right now, there's just no evidence of that, right? The evidence, all the economic leading indicators, fed being on the sidelines, Dixie dollar index being out. It, 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 there's nothing that points to that. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Just nothing that points to that. However, a lot of data, a lot of things are pointing us to that it's a bear market rally. Now, if the NASDAQ gets back up into the 14,000 range and can hold there, all bets are off at that point because you're, you're not in a bear market anymore at that point. If you cross above the 200-day moving average and hold, you're not in a bear market at that point. And I'd have to say that odds favor market acceleration further up. But we're still a good ways away from that. And to us, that ultimate test, I think this 13,000 level on the NASDAQ is a big deal. I think it's psychological. It's also the top end of a channel that we've been charting this whole year. And the NASDAQ has just been trading down, but it's stayed in this very tight, organized channel. Right now, you're just bumping up against the top edge of it without enough. You haven't blown through it. Now, we might get through it a day or two, but you got to look for confirmation in these things. But, you know, we'll see. But anyway, getting back to the risk management thing, and, and using that as an example, I want to give you guys an idea of where we're at. So I run the value portfolio, our momentum portfolio, which makes up about 25, 35% of our clients' holdings right now is down about 9% on the year. Our value portfolio is flat on the year. Average clients, I think that momentum is a little better than that. I think the average stock portfolio for our clients right now, I got to average the two together. I want to say it's down two, something like that. Down maybe maybe it's a little less than that now because we've had a little bit of run up in value, but where are we at? Well, I see this decelerating demand on the energy side of it. So we've got about eighty percent of our energy positions hedged. What does that mean? We've got uh, uh, something that goes up when oil companies go down. Okay. We also this week, just uh, yesterday or the day before, put back a short position on the Nasdaq. That's about equal to about 85 to 90% of our tech exposure. Okay, so we're guarding that up. We've also gone long volatility about two days ago as well. 
So we're putting the hedges back on. On a day like today, S&P's up one. Our portfolio, I think, is up about 0.4, something like that. So some of those hedges are dragging today. Not too bad. Um, it will limit our upside. But again, remember, we're flat on the day so, or flat on the year. So w- when I get into these situations, my attitude is, hey, you know, I'm not going up as much as the market, but I'm also not down nearly as much either. I'm going to let the market come to me. If it goes up, great. We'll go up with it and we'll have a good year. But I'm not taking chances, right? That, that lead, that outperformance so far this year has afforded me the ability to be extra cautious, right? Manage risk. So if we close, if the NASDAQ closes above 13,000 and then confirms that close, holds that for like Monday, Tuesday of next week, we will pull off the tech hedges. We will probably drastically reduce the energy hedges and we'll begin to use 13,000 as that pivot line for us. Okay, so if we're above that, we'll stay long and unhedged. Minute we pull below that and hold there, we're going to hedge up. Okay, does that guarantee you success? No, but what does it do? It takes the worst case scenario off the table. It also allows us to keep moving up with the market. So if the market is going to rally, this is the point. Everybody wants the Oracle to come tell them what's going to happen in the stock market. But as you guys have heard me say a million, nobody knows. And the guy that tells you he knows is the most dangerous guy. And he's the last guy on earth you should listen to. How should we be managing money, especially retirement money? We should be managing it in such a way that regardless of the outcome, you're good. Why? Because that's the only option we've got, right? You're retiring. Now, the other side of that, if you haven't learned your lesson with bonds, guys, nothing's going to teach it to you, okay? Have you noticed that your bonds aren't rallying back with the same veracity of stocks? Why is that? Because rates are going up, right? This is the condition that we've been talking about for the last seven years or since we've been on the radio. If your thought is you buy into this rally and you think stocks are going to reaccelerate, then you need to get rid of your bonds because if stocks are going to keep accelerating, guess what the Fed's not going to do? They're not going to cut rates. They're probably going to keep raising them, which means your bonds are going to keep getting tanked. And if some of you were sitting there going, look at this stock market rally, why are my stocks coming back as fast? Your stocks are, your bonds aren't. Okay. So (laughs) the, the bond game has been over for a decade, but nobody's really been paying attention, but now you should be. If the market keeps recovering guys, bonds will still be under pressure. And at the best, I don't think they're going to recover. And at worst, they're going to keep losing money. And I've been saying this for seven years. Look, the stock side of it's complicated. Nobody knows. The bond side of it's idiotic. And I'm not trying to denigrate anybody. But if you haven't learned your lesson, they don't work, right? The story you've been told about rising, when stocks fall, bonds go up. I mean, you you have to know that's complete nonsense. And if you don't, you're not awake. And if you don't know that, and if your advisor is still telling you that, that should be a wake-up call that you need to find somebody else. And it's not just us. There's other people that do it. But you need different options. Okay, you need a bond portfolio or, you know, that safe part of your portfolio to be something that can benefit from inflation. Something that is safer than bonds, that can't lose 20. If you're defensively, that's like saying, hey, our our football team was up 31 to 7 in the fourth quarter. And then they gave up 28 points and we lost. In the fourth quarter. And then the next week, you're like, well, we were up 21 nothing. Defense gave up, you know, look at what you went through COVID. Stocks are down 36%. Your bonds were down 20. Okay. This year, worst start to the year since 1970. NASDAQ down 30, S&P down 21, bonds down 15 to 20. Okay. Go back to 2008, 2009. Stock market down 63, bonds down between 20 to 27, depending on whether you're in what kind of bonds you're in, but investment grade bonds on average were down 25, 27. Every single time you needed your defense to hold the line in the fourth quarter for over a decade now, not only has it not held the line, it's given up three touchdowns in the last three minutes. If you still have bonds as your defensive strategy in your portfolio, I don't know what to tell you other than to give you our phone number. 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Do you know what our bond replacement strategy is doing this year? It's up about three, and it's accelerating, right? 
Because that real estate portfolio we use is one part of it. It's actually having a nice year. It's up about five and a half, six. The fixed indexed annuity, remember, it's tied to the stock market. So it started trickling back up. It's starting to make money. But we're not digging out of a hole in that thing, right? Because it's insured against loss without a fee. There's a better way, guys. There's a much better way that if this, if we're wrong, right, and the market goes up, we can make you more money. But if we're right and this is a bear market rally, you're not going to lose anywhere close to as much. And we can lower your fees in the process. There's a better way, guys. Give us a call. 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website. You guys know the drill. Also, this Thursday, we've got our free virtual road show coming back up. It's where we walk through our whole system, walk through, show you how the portfolios work, show you the performance. Again, just pure transparency. Do it all in about, what do we do it about? Uh, about 30 minutes. Yeah. Keep the presentation about 30 minutes, walk you through our estate planning, whole thing. So you're not going to know all the details, but you're going to know how we build a portfolio and how we work. Again, that's free. I know that we're, we can only get, what is it? A hundred people on the zoom meeting, something like that. Or did we get the new, anyway, we've got a limited either hundred, 120, typically about 130 to 150 people sign up. So, you know, it's free, and so I'm not trying to build false urgency. But if you want to be able to do it, we can only facilitate so many. So make sure you go to bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com and, uh, or knowyourriskradio.com. Sign up for the roadshow that's coming up this Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. You won't want to miss that. Anyway, stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Are your finances and investments well-positioned for a successful retirement? Join me at Zach Abraham's free live webinar Thursday, August 18th at 3 p.m. Zach, what are we going to learn? Dory, the core of our investment and retirement planning process is protecting portfolios against major losses while still growing assets. In our live webinar, I'll explain how we do it and answer some big questions like, do I have enough to retire? When should I take Social Security? Do I need estate planning or long-term care? And why are investment strategies like the basic 60-40 stock bond portfolio outdated and a risk in today's inflationary environment? Learn how our risk management strategy can protect your retirement. Zach Abraham's free live webinar is 3 p.m. Thursday, August 18th. Space is limited, so reserve now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice can be given without client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us through the break. Okay, so we're not going to get to I hate it when I do this. Uh, we're not going to get to air as much as the Chase interview as possible, or at all, actually. You're just going to have to go to the podcast and do it. I had just too much stuff to get to in the rundown. I'm still leaving some things out. But I wanted to tell you the Druckenmiller story. Earlier in the show, I was talking about Stan Druckenmiller, uh, in my opinion, the greatest money manager of all time, 30 years, averaged 33% annual returns, never had a down year and only had four down quarters. Uh, if that sounds made up, it's not. Um, but the really interesting story, he was talking about, I heard an interview, and I think he gave the interview, I want to say in 2018, where they were asking about his biggest mistakes. And he talked about the dot-com bubble bursting. And he said, he, he was, I, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure this is the way it went down. He was pretty good when it crashed that first time. But when it started recovering again, I remember that time it went 35% straight down, the NASDAQ did, and then started bouncing and retraced over 50% of that loss only to roll over again. And he said that uh, he kind of freaked out and went in there and bought all those tech stocks. And then it rolled over again, and I think he said he lost about a billion and a half dollars. Now, for most of us, that would be wipeout, right? Well, he pivoted back, made it all back, and ended up having a pretty good year. But the person let, you know, and he was like, that's probably my biggest mistake. And the person interviewing him said, what did you learn from it? And he goes, nothing. I knew it was, the, I knew it was stupid. I knew I shouldn't touch that stuff. I knew it was nonsense. 
And I tweeted that story out today because I was like, boy, isn't that apropos, right? Because I feel it too. You look at the Teslas, you look at the, you know, the trade desks. uh, And again, I'm not knocking on the companies, just the valuation of the stocks. You know, you look at the Shopify's, you look at all these things, you look at the rally in NVIDIA, despite uh, PC demand falling off a cliff, gaming demand falling off a cliff. You look at everybody going back to the well, and it's tempting, right? Especially when you look at how much they fall. You're like, man, I could pick up 30, 40% here easy. I'm going to go buy some ARK, right? A-R-K-K. Why don't we do it? If the environment hadn't changed and the Fed was still complicit and they were still supporting things and they were still easing, I'd probably be buying that. But the environment has changed massively. Gone from deflation to 40-year high inflation. Dollar index above 105, right? Commodity prices going through the roof. Again, inflation, Fed cutting off stimulus, raising rates. And these stocks that we all knew were nonsense got pummeled. And they're still not even close to cheap. Not even close. And so I I just, I keep going back to that, hearing Druckenmiller say that. And I'm like, you know, we know better. We know better. Is it going to be tempting? Yeah. It's also one of the reasons why I don't think this run upward is quite over yet. Because this is what bear market rallies do. They make you, they test your religion, man. If you're like me, they're going to press you up against the wall to where you're almost positive you're wrong. And it's excruciatingly painful to stay disciplined and hold back. And like I said, that's one of the advantages of risk management. Do I wish I was going up as fast? Yeah, heck yeah. But one of the big parts about risk management is not getting down in the first place. Why am I not freaking out and panic buying this stuff? Because we're not down. Right? If, if we were down 15, 20% like most everybody else, you almost have to at that point, right? Because you have managed risk. One of the advantages to managing risk, guys, is if you do it properly, you shouldn't be looking at 30 to 40% down. Therefore, you're not caught in these dilemmas. Like I said, I can, we can just let the market come to us. If you break back above the 200-day moving average, then, hey, we're back in. And we'll just pivot off the 200-day moving average. Right? That's what managing risk is. And what do we do by doing that? We take the worst case scenario off the table. What do I tell all of our clients? Guys, I can't promise you returns. Nobody can. If they do or tell you about their market brilliance, like I've said a hundred times, run the other way. What can we do? We can manage money in a disciplined manner to make sure that we're never having a conversation about why 50% of your money's gone. And, and this is why people... Well, you can't say, yes, limiting losses is one of the easiest things to do in investing. Making money is the tough part. People go, well, you say that. No, just, I mean, you can get it, give me any portfolio you've got. I can make a few changes to it immediately and take away the downside risk. It's not hard. What's hard to do is make money, right? That's where the risk management comes into play. But I'll tell you what, it's a heck of a lot easier to make money when you're down 2% as opposed to down 20 I have told you guys stories over and over. There is a better way to do this. Okay? We should not be stepping back. We know it's not right. Like Druckenmiller, what did, what, what did you learn from that? Nothing. I knew I shouldn't have bought that stuff. It's like poison. Snake oil. It'll get you hammered. You're not buying these companies because they're great companies. You're buying them because they're going up. Now is the time for sobriety and discipline, right? And management of risk. Now, does that mean that, hey, maybe the stock market finishes positive this this year? I'd bet my house that it doesn't, but I could be wrong. Now, I wouldn't bet my house, not in this environment. Who knows what could happen, right? But could I be wrong? Yeah. But if I am, maybe that means we make 10, 12%, markets up eight or nine. Based on where we're at now, maybe it passes us. Maybe make 10 or 12 and the market's up 14. I'll take that every day. Why? Because I removed the catastrophic loss off the table. And once we're in retirement, the goal is not maximize gains. The goal is to finance the rest of your life. And if you want to know when the biggest money-making opportunity is going to come, it's going to come when this thing does fall. 
Because it will. I don't know when. Right? It's like back in COVID. We picked up all those stocks, made a killing. Because we weren't down. It's all about risk management, guys. And if you don't have that, if you're not having these talks, if you're down 10 to 15%, 18% on the year, checking your stocks every day, feeling really hopeful that they're coming back, alarm bells should be going off. You're positioned wrong. You're positioned wrong. You're doing it wrong. I'm not saying you're going to have a horrible year. I'm not saying your portfolio is going to blow up. What I'm saying is you're doing it wrong. Learn the lessons from this year. Learn that bonds aren't a defensive strategy. Learn that you cannot risk 30 to 50% losses in retirement. Learn, accept the fact that the disciplined route is sometimes we won't make as much, but our long-term returns will be much better if we avoid the big losses. If that's not how your portfolio is being managed, call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Sign up for the free roadshow we've got coming up this Thursday at 3 p.m. Hear all of our stuff. Hear the whole dog and pony show. Anyway, we got to run. Have a great weekend. Again, 866-779-RISK. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to check out the interview we did with Chase this uh, week. Talk about inflation and give you a whole macro update. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management. Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Are your finances and investments well-positioned for a successful retirement? Join me at Zach Abraham's free live webinar Thursday, August 18th at 3 p.m. Zach, what are we going to learn? Dory, the core of our investment and retirement planning process is protecting portfolios against major losses while still growing assets. In our live webinar, I'll explain how we do it and answer some big questions like, do I have enough to retire? When should I take Social Security? Do I need estate planning or long-term care? And why are investment strategies like the basic 60-40 stock bond portfolio outdated and a risk in today's inflationary environment? Learn how our risk management strategy can protect your retirement. Zach Abraham's free live webinar is 3 p.m. Thursday, August 18th. Space is limited, so reserve now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.